0: Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike Perry, and I'm here with Brett Jones, who just told me, Mike, your microphone is not on and you're going to have to redo the intro. And that's what I just did. So this is the second (laughs) intro, but we only recorded the second intro. So technically it's the first intro. Anywho, Brett, thank you for saving me. Uh, (laughs) Appreciate that, buddy. How you doing, man? Hmm. Doing all right. Back from a trip. uh, Recovering. Getting
1: getting feet back underneath of me, taking care of business. You know, it's uh, another day. No more dollars, another. but another day.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about something that every individual has encountered, and that is um, managing an injury or a tweak or a twinge or whatever else you want to call it. But that is uh, not only a part of life, but uh, if you've been in the iron game for any amount of time, things are going to happen and i think it's important to understand the difference between a true injury a true injury or a tweak or a twinge because you hear a lot of these things used uh, interchangeably so um you know from my opinion um, injuries those need to be diagnosed by a medical professional and i think far too many people have something significant happen and they ignore it and hope it goes well and hopefully it just magically heals up and they can start to you know make make progress once again but a lot of the times there's things that just can't simply be fixed i i'm doing some air quotes here um by resting and and if we're being brutally honest i actually think just simply resting for long periods of time is probably not the best thing so um you know, injuries are going to happen. Tweaks and twinges are going to happen. Now, whether or not those are inside the gym or outside the gym, that's, that's a very different conversation, but, um, there is an upside though. And, and, and I believe the name of, of the book from, uh, Stuart McGill was the gift of injury, right? And, Mm -hmm. uh, he talked about, you know, exactly that. Um, there's, there, there's an opportunity to learn and, and, and I'll be brutally honest with you. I've had some back stuff over the years and, uh, it sucked. It was pretty brutal. But at the same time, I learned so much about how to manage low back issues and low back pain. And and, and I've helped dozens and dozens of clients with, with the same thing. So yes, you can get injured and it sucks. And when you're in it, it's really hard, but you can also look at it as an opportunity to learn. And I think a lot of people do not do that. And um, if you just reframe uh, the way you're looking at things, uh, I think you can look at those situations as as valuable learning lessons. And um because it's gonna happen. It's inevitable. It's like it's like a rainy day. You're gonna have a you're gonna have something. And um understanding how to manage those is super, super important.
1: So let's let's talk uh, just a little bit of uh assumptions, expectations, um, because I want to put a little different spin on this. And um, you know, the I I agree that Things are going to happen. Um, our job, if we're approaching this from the trainer standpoint, our job is to make sure that that occurrence and that uh, we get out ahead, <clears throat> we get out ahead of those situations and we prevent them from happening as much as possible. And occasionally, life happens. Um, yeah, I've I've heard trainers and people say, you know, the the word, and these were some pretty hard hard living folks. The Worst injury I ever saw was somebody stepped off curb, open fracture, dislocation of an ankle. Like, and they weren't training hard. (laughs) They were stepping off a curb. Uh, So life is absolutely going to happen. Um, If you're a trainer listening to this, that does not mean if, if if your students are getting injured, you need to pay attention to that because you should be in a position to make sure that that is the, the, that occurrence is at as low a level as you can possibly maintain. And in the end, you can't protect people from themselves. If they make some different decisions, uh, contrary to your programming and advice and the way you're trying to manage things and things happen, then then that's that's going to happen. But if like one of the things you're dealing with is your students are kind of constantly tweaking things, dear Lord, stop take a look in the mirror and uh, and look at what's going on because there's there's something happening there Um, now have I had students get injured yeah Um, it's it is part of life it is going to happen but it should not be an expectation Um, for the trainers out there that are treating themselves like there's some other subspecies of human being uh, the, the question I always ask is, uh, would you train your students like this? And about 99 times out of a hundred, the answer is, well, no, I wouldn't have my students do this. Well, uh, what are you doing? Why are you doing? Why is it okay for you? And if they don't have a good answer for that, it's a pretty good thing to look into. So yes, uh, injuries are going to happen, but that should be at a very low occurrence. And we, as the trainer, should be out in front of that and making sure that that, occur- that, in- that occurrence level is very low. Um, I've had the back stuff as well. Uh, um, L5S1 laminectomy back in 2003. Had a series of three epidurals in 2016. Um, L3, L4, and um, um, L5S1. Um, wait, no. L4, L5, and L5S1. L5, and then uh, first week of cancer treatment, My L3, L4 goes, and I end up with some raging nerve pain. Um, And uh, of course, their first thought was metastasization. And so I got some pretty intense imaging and and evaluation. Um, So I've dealt with the back stuff. Um, I used, to your point of turning this into a positive, when I irritated both of my shoulders, changing my military press grip, it led to writing the article and uh, refining uh, my knowledge of how to optimize the grip for the kettlebell military press and some barbell uh i, I think it works for any pushing uh, sort of exercise um you know i would not have had that uh that progression in my own knowledge in my own coaching had i not irritated both my shoulders by changing my grip so um you know that's so just wanted to kind of set a little bit of expectation and assumptions kind of out there because when you say people are going to get injured There are people out there who say, who, who think, oh, it's okay. If I get injured, that's not what we said. (laughs) That's, that's not what we said at all.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what we, at the end of the day, we can't, we can't prevent an injury, but we can prevent ourselves from programming dumb shit and for having our clients do dumb things. I mean, look at the end of the day, right. Um, if you have clients that are consistently getting injured intra session. Your programming's not good. It's just not. It's simply you're you're putting them in a situation that they're they're overreaching constantly. When you overreach constantly, things are going to happen. And uh, so you know, I think part of it is when you are you know programming for people, you have to leave a little bit of a runway. And we, we've talked about this before, but you can't start off redlining. You have to build up. You have to earn the opportunity to redline. And um, you know, I think a lot of people treat their bodies as if. They can just abuse it for, for just forever and ever and ever. And here's the the blessing in the curse of, of being a human. The blessing is we're really resilient. The curse is we're really resilient. <laughs> we can get away, especially at a younger age, you can get, a you can get away with a lot of dumb things. Ask me how I know. Um, I've done some stupid workouts. I'm anybody would throw together, a, you know, a CrossFit workout and I'm talking, you know, I'm talking 15 years ago when it was a website and it wasn't even a, uh, you know, a, a, a box, you know, in a, in a community I'm talking, this is when there was nothing. And I used to do any workout that came up there. I did with terrible form and with a boatload of intensity and uh, it didn't end well. So, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you can still train hard. You have like training hard is a good thing. Training smart is a good thing, but um, you have to earn the right, in my opinion, to overreach. And, and I'm not saying you 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 can't go out there and train hard. It's just be smart. Like I see these things all the time where, what did I see the other day? I saw someone doing like a one minute challenge video. I'm like, what are you going to get from that one minute challenge? You're probably going to get like elbow pain for like a week or two. You're probably going to get like, I see all these challenges and it's like, well, what's the point? Like, cool, you win a challenge and now you have a sore elbow or a sore knee because someone challenged you to do something like you know, it's a if it's a challenge, cool. But if it's a challenge that's going to leave you wrecked for a long period of time, it's really it's really not worthwhile. I mean, I've I've done it. I I'll tell you a really funny story. I was at a FIBO conference, Um, and I was down in Florida, and they had this uh, this sort of uh, it was like a trade show if you'd never been to FIBO. Um, and it was uh, it was the military. It was run by the army, and they were doing a, a weighted pull up test. And of course, I like pull ups, and uh, they had a weighted vest, and I was like, hey, you know what's the record for today? And he, it was like nine or 10. So I was like, okay, I'm going to beat it. So I go up there and it was like 35 pound weighted pull up. And I banged out like 10, which I didn't think I could do, but anyways, and then I was like, awesome. And then like, I had elbow pain for a month. It's like, cool. I just did this dumb thing and now I have elbow pain, but I think we do that a lot. So, um, don't, don't wear your pain and your bad decisions as a badge of honor. Like, it's just, it's just silly. Um, it's like when I see people tearing their hands up that do a bunch of kettlebell work. They're like, look at, I did a great kettlebell workout. No, you didn't. You just have shitty technique. doesn't you know, same thing when I see people with, you know, bleeding shins doing their deadlifts. Like I've trained a guy with that can deadlift over 900 pounds. His shins don't look like that. So if you're repping out 185 for 21 reps, you can get away with it. You know what I'm saying? So, um, the injuries are absolutely avoidable a lot of the times, as long as you're not doing dumb things, but the problem so t- is, is, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was Finish. just going to say the problem is, is we train a lot of times we train ourselves like as if we're professionals yeah. and we, most people are novices and intermediate lifters at best.
1: To your point about challenges, a facility that I was involved with decided to hold a plank challenge, um, who could hold the longest plank. Uh, the winning plank was about seven and a half minutes long. Um, uh, he got a t-shirt and um back pain
0: <laughs> exactly
1: probably not exactly what he was hoping to get out of the uh, plank challenge so I, I i've said this before in other podcasts i don't do challenges because i've been challenged enough in my life i <laughs> i don't need to know where my limits are i have been i have been shown them i have searched for them in the past and i have been shown where my limits are in a variety of ways. So I don't take on challenges. So if anybody out there is getting ready to send me a challenge to do on the, on social media, save it. I won't do it. Yeah. Um, most injury stories start with, uh, one of two statements and I went for one more rep <laughs> or I know, I knew I shouldn't have done X If you think back through some of your injury history, you're probably going to run into those two statements at some point. I went for one more rep. I added five more pounds. I knew I shouldn't have, but I... Yeah. So a lot of times for me as a trainer, as a coach, um, my job is to give people permission to stop. That's a powerful tool. Like there's a lot of things in the in the weight room and in, even on the athletic field that that could be prevented if we simply had permission to go. You know, I think I'm going to stop, and that that was okay. So that's a lot of philosophy and a lot of a, a lot of uh, perspective on injuries and things like that. Um, From a very practical standpoint, if something does happen. Um. I, I I think you should have a team of people together that you can get something evaluated. Uh, the problem becomes, and you know, I've worked with enough people, Mike. You've worked with enough people to where when you recommend to a student that they go get checked out, the pers- the response is the the doctor doesn't know anything about this anyway. I went there last time, was told not to exercise for six months. Um, the PT I went to didn't do a good job and, you know, I, I, it took me months to get over it anyway. Well, so a couple of things about that, as far as the, the physical therapist is, is concerned, um, that you got approved for 12 visits. You only went for six and you didn't do any of the homework. So let's back off of blaming the, the physical therapist for everything. Um, from the doctor's point of view, they've got eight minutes with you. They've already seen 10 people this week with a shoulder problem from exercising. So yes, their recommendation is, I think you should not do that right now. Um, doesn't mean they're right. It just means that there's a reason they kind of come to that conclusion. So your GP, I have a good relationship with my GP. If I walked in the room and said, hey, I you know—I think we need to get X, X Y, or Z looked at, we'd, we'd get it taken care of. Um, if you're walking in the room and they see you once a year at best for your, your yearly physical and you don't have a relationship with them and they don't know anything about you, yeah, they're going to make some pretty broad stroke recommendations. Um, but build your team. If you're in a state with direct access, find a physical therapist that that is worth their salt and and work with them. Go get your injuries evaluated. Find a chiropractor, find a massage therapist, find a find a doctor that you, that you trust that, that knows these things. And I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of information. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that uh, we, we avoid collecting some information that could save us a lot of time uh, simply because we're afraid of a blind referral or a bad recommendation or, you know, it, it just not going the, the direction we want it to go.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting too, because you know, I think there's a, a lot of situations where, um, you know, we we do feel like we get stuck a little bit because again, we go to the we go to the you know our our primary care. And then, um, usually they want to see you and, and let, if we're being brutally honest, a lot of times they want to see you just so they can collect the copay and, and bill a visit. And, and then what they're probably going to do is they're probably going to send you to a PT and, and get that evaluated. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, that, that process. But, um, and it, what I would try to do is again, try to find that network, like that network, like Brett said, try to find a good, uh, whether it's a Cairo or an ATC or a physical therapist, whatever, someone that you trust that, and you know, that's going to give it to you straight. And that has a decent skill set because, um, you know, I, I think, it's important that whoever you decide to sort of work with, that they understand what you're asking of your body. Cause let's say you have a power lifter and they tweak their back. I'm pretty sure, you know, doing some glute bridges and some clamshells and some bird dogs is probably not going to move the needle on a, a very large individual that lifts a lot of weight because the stimulus is so, so low. So, um, each case is going to have to be dealt with a little bit differently. Now, look, if you work with someone that lives a sedentary lifestyle and they've never done anything, maybe some basic body weight training with bridges and bird dogs and planks is a really good thing. But for the individual that's already super strong, like the old, you just have weak glutes and a weak core thing. Isn't going to cut it. Especially if it's someone, you know, has a 500 pound deadlift and a 500 pound squat. Like we are going going to say they have weak glutes and, you know, uh, in a weak core, like that, that can't be the answer. But, um, but I think it's important that once you understand and you get that diagnosis, it's what to do with it. Because I think that's the next step. Um, rest is sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing. But I think even more important is you have to know yourself. And, um, you know, in, in sort of Greek philosophy, know thyself is something that has been said over and over again. But I really believe that it's important for us to understand how our body functions and moves. Like I can tell just by getting down and doing a couple mobility drills if I'm moving well that day or if I'm not moving so well. So I think having that, that idea of what your own sort of baseline is and what your own sort of average is, is really, really important because then you can start to see, oh, wow, that doesn't feel right. Or your body will give you signs a lot of the times when you have potentially these things coming on. And I'm not talking about like a trauma-based injury where, hey, you get hit in the head with a lacrosse ball, but <laughs> you can't you know predict that. But your body's they're going to give you some signs, right? It's going to give you some signs. And when you start feeling that little thing in your shoulder or your back or your hip, um, that whisper is, is no longer going to be a whisper. If you continue to do dumb things, it's going to be eventually a yell and you want to get to the point where it doesn't become a yell. Right. And, um, uh, that is where I think the hard part is, is, you know, when to move, when to move more when to not move. And, and a big part of that is just understanding how your body responds to exercise, stress and load, because there are times where my back was really, really hot. I'm just, (laughs) and really light me up. I'm laying on the ground, getting some heat. I'm going to be at that 90, 90 position, and I'm going to let everything calm down a little bit and then reintegrate. But if something's just a little bit wonky, I'm just going to walk a little bit. I'm going to do some mobility. I'm going to do a very, very light session. And a lot of the times within two to three days, things clear up. And that's the beauty of it. But if you don't go through that process over and over again, and I'm not saying it has to happen all the time, but tweaks, twinges, and things are going to happen. And that's when you start to learn about your body. It's when you learn what the right way to manage things are through trial and error. And I wish I could tell you that there's a better way, but in my opinion, there's a there's 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 a gift and there's some beauty in understanding that process and approaching that process uh, in a way that will keep you curious because curiosity is going to help you find sort of one of the most efficient ways to hopefully rehabilitate yourself through those, those situations that you're dealing with. Yeah. I think
1: uh, a big thing for people to, to realize, uh, your body heals. Um, there's no such thing as a slip disc. Discs don't slip. Um, the, the, it's a, it's a connective tissue injury. It's an annular fi- annular fiber injury. Um, they change over time. Yeah, I'm, I'm just using this as a general example where people well, good think, oh, <laughs> you know, they, yeah, they they have an MRI or they get a diagnosis of a quote slip disc uh, twenty years ago, and they're like, oh, I you know I I have this slip disc. I'm like, dude, twenty years ago. They do repeat MRIs on people and they show changes in, in disc bulges and herniations over weeks and months. Yeah. Not 20 years. Like just because you received a diagnosis 20 years ago does not mean you're still that
0: diagnosis, but it happens um, your body all the time, heals. man. It happens all the all time. The time. I, I can't tell you, Oh, I have a slipped disc. Okay. When's the last time you had issues? 1987. It's like, really dude. Okay. Like it's not slipped no, it's no, anymore, but they identify themselves yeah. by their injury. Yep, it's you yep. know it's there's, very similar a to a ton of sports. that that happens.
1: Yes, hundred percent. It becomes part of their identity. It becomes part of, uh, and and you know we can get a psychologist on to maybe talk about the uh, the deeper layers of how we gain identity <laughs>
0: through a variety of. of we things. don't need one, man. Um, we just need to listen to Shrek. You know, we're like onions. We have layers. <laughs> that's that's you, it. That's you all. It has layers. Pafes. everybody love a parfait <laughs> i knew that was coming that was a, that was a layup that was a setup
1: it was um, it was you know that's has that's Pafes. everybody love a parfait um eddie murphy brilliant um so good so you know i i, I think that uh that that knowledge uh that the body heals um and, and it is resilient uh should be now if you keep Putting your hand on the hot stove and you keep burning yourself i don't know how much i can help you like at a certain point you just got to quit putting your hand on the hot stove and, yeah, exactly. and, and seek a different answer right because uh your are it's obviously not working so um part of that to your point of when to move when not to move you know how do we do this um a initially We want to move within a range that doesn't cause any pain or symptoms. Um, Or we just want to avoid that particular painful spot. If you've got knee pain, we can probably still deadlift. We can probably, we can definitely do a lot of upper body work. We can definitely do, you know, there's a ton of things that are still on the table. It doesn't mean we have to exercise your pain. So, so uh, as you like to say, Mike, don't hear what we're not saying. Uh, um, The, um, um, we, we want to keep moving. And sometimes that's just light body weight, sort of ankle circles. If you, Mm -hmm. if you've got a little bit of a sprained ankle and maybe those are very small, lowercase letters (laughs) for, for a couple of uh, days or weeks while you're, you're in that initial healing phase and and a little bit of movement can be a good thing, but not movement that causes pain, not movement that causes symptoms, not movement that causes swelling and, and, and obvious signs of overdoing. Um, so I think that, um, the, uh, um you know get some movement in but it might not be that that area that you're moving yeah um i've reached a point similar to you where i can get a sense for where the day is taking me and and i know how to modify i know what i can push through i I know what's just a an echo Mm -hmm. a little residual um memory of something or, and I know days where you know I need to I need to take it easy, I need to back off and, and just do some some cardio or or uh, go for a walk or you know something like that. So I think people would say themselves and you know as an athletic trainer and somebody that that studied the healing process um you know the first what's what's call it three three to three to five three to seven days after an injury um is is really important um if we were really good at managing that initial, uh, three days to a week, uh, people would be healing up really fast. So, no activity, no blood flow, little little healing going on. Um, too much movement, irritating the area. Now we we overdo the inflammatory process, and we and we run into some problems on the other side. Um, so, have a have a professional you can work with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's kind of two things I want to um, sort of double up on. Um, you know, talking about imaging and, and slip discs, you know, a lot of people go and they have back pain and they go get imaging and, you know, it's the normal stuff. We've got stenosis, we've got stenosis, you know, this disc is blah, 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 right? We get, this is kind of the normal stuff that we see when it comes to low back. And that's kind of the one that a lot of people deal with. Um, just understand that you are not your MRI. An MRI is simply information. And it's a still shot. So if you think about an MRI, an MRI is really just a, it's a photo it's a photo of what's going on in your spine. And, uh, but it's not at real time. So the way that those discs look in a stagnant position or, uh, you know, a static position is very, very different than they look and behave when you're moving. So that's something to consider. And, and remember too, I think the biggest thing with, with MRIs is people get an MRI and what's the first thing they do. They go in their portal and they try to read it. The MRI is not for, for, for the normal people, right? The MRI is for the clinicians and for the doctors. Um, it's not for us to make decisions and, and look you know, when I was going through all my cancer stuff, I'd go through and I was reading everything and I'm like, I don't know any of this, but what I was doing is I would just, I would cherry pick stuff that I thought I knew. And then I'd Google it and I'd scare the hell out of myself because I, you know, you kind of, you get these scenarios where you're like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. It's kind of like when you, you know, you don't feel good. You say you have a headache and you go on like web MD and next thing you're like, am I having a frigging stroke? Like you can easily go down rabbit holes with that stuff. So you're not your MRI, your MRI is simply information. Like the other day I had a, one of my clients, and he had a big flare up with his back and, uh, he went and did a few things and it wasn't super helpful. And I just gave him, I said, do this for about a week or two, and then we're going to reintegrate. And now he's doing fantastic. And he came, he said, Hey, should I go get an MRI? I said, do you have pain right now? And he goes, no, I feel great. I'm like, don't get an MRI then. How come? I, Cause it's just information. Nothing's going to change with the way that we're treating, quote unquote, treating or changing things, you're doing really good. So what we're doing is working. Now, if you want the MRI to confirm that something's wrong, I think the chronic pain that you dealt with for the last month is going to tell you that something's wrong. I don't need an expensive MRI to tell you that you're in pain. It's just information. So, and I'm not saying that you should not get imaging. I'm just saying that a lot of the times imaging is not necessarily going to change the treatment, but it's just information. That's, it's just simply it's to give you more insight than you had prior. Um, And most of the time, a good clinician um, is going to look at that and go, okay, cool. But they're going to see how you respond and they're going to do the real time stuff. And that's going to give you more information than looking at a still picture of your spine and going, yep, that's L5 S1. There's your, there it is. That's, that's the culprit. It's like, well, yeah, cool. Great information, but All it's telling us is that, yes, there may be a slight bulge or herniation. That's it. It doesn't tell us how to fix it. It doesn't tell us what that individual needs. And that's one of the main reasons why we have to look at function. We have to look at how people actually move globally, not just looking at a picture of their spine and going, that's it. If it was that easy, we would do that. So I think that's something that people need to understand when it comes to their imaging and their MRI. It's like, you are not your MRI. Like, and, and we've, you, there's a bunch of stats. Like you look at, you know, MRIs of low backs and what is it like 75 or 85% of people will show abnormalities in their lumbar spine. Same thing with shoulders, right? Something along the lines but of they, 78.
1: They're, they're showing those, those, in, they're showing what we would consider to be injuries, but these are asymptomatic. Symptomatic. So that your, your statistics are pretty spot on where with the lower back, we see 75, 80% of Uh, People who without low back pain show something on imaging that you would be concerned about, uh, but they have no symptoms. I was just reading a study recently by Philippon, uh, which, if you don't know, is uh, he's famous for uh, his work on hips. Um, He pioneered some uh, hip procedures and he's considered to be, you know, like a a very, very much an expert in, in relation to the hip. Well, nobody had done the studies on hips the way have been done on backs and shoulders. Well, like 95% of those people who were asymptomatic Mm -hmm. and showed a uh, labral tear had some sort of structural anomaly, like an alpha angle, cam style FAI, pincer style FAI, you know, um, cox angle. You know, there's all kinds of options that we've talked about. Yep. So there's, and the prevalence of people with, some sort of labral damage and no symptoms is just as high as all those other studies. So um, I had one client, one student at one time, he, had, he was having some knee pain. And so I said, yeah, you should go get that checked. I said, but do me a favor, have the, have the doc shoot a comparative x-ray of the other side. Mm-hmm. And he knew the doc, so he was able to get this get this done. So the doc walks in, pops up these uh, x-rays up on the screen, and he goes, I don't get it. The knee that hurts looks way better than the knee that doesn't hurt. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> like funny? If, if and and I'm like, Yeah, exactly. Like, just because you show something on imaging does not mean that, that that's not a diagnosis. That's just information. Gray Cook yeah. has said for a long time: imaging should confirm a diagnosis. It should not make a diagnosis. And those are two very different statements. And so when you, when you do peel back a little bit and you look at things um, and then we can do a separate podcast on just this concept of pain and the way we look at it now as this uh, multifactorial experience, that pain is an output of the brain, not an input. And that's a, that's a big kind of mental shift for a lot of folks. Uh, we still think very much on the Cartesian model where, you know, you put your foot in the fire, you get pain. You know, it's a, it's an input, but it's not, it's an output. It is a decision that your brain made. Um, yeah. and, it, and it's a multifactorial experience. So with imaging, and I've, I've had this with, with students and you know people myself, where they're like, Oh, but, but my, my x-ray showed X, my MRI showed X. I'm like, I don't care. What do you yeah. mean? Like, I don't care. Uh, where I do think imaging can be super helpful is when we're lacking range of motion at a particular joint. And maybe there's a reason. Um, I've used this example for a long time. Uh, one of my students uh had been trying to improve ankle um, ankle motion for a long time, unsuccessful, started working with me. I'm like, hey, let's go get an x-ray. Uh Soon as the x ray in the in the was read by the radiologist in the doc, it was rather clear <laughs> as to why this person did not have ankle range of motion, and they're never going to structurally. This is not going to change, so I don't. When 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 I can't get range of motion to change, when I run into one of those things, it's just really stubborn. Yeah, I want it's not, some imaging it's not making to tell a me, dent, yeah, and I, I want some imaging to tell me that I should actually be able to change this because I might be in a situation where that's just not going to change the, the structure is what the structure is mm-hmm. and so there's 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 layers <laughs> to um to there you is. know how how we want to to approach this and you know i i think that um um people just just the the biggest thing your body heals yep and and i and i think that uh there, there's this mindset of i had this injury once and therefore, it is always with me. Um, that is just not how the body works. Um, now, once again, you keep putting your hand on the hot stove. Yeah, <laughs> your hand's going to be burned all the time. And you yeah. can stop that by not putting your hand on the stove. And so you are not your diagnosis. You are not your injury. And your body heals.
0: Absolutely. And and that goes to the resiliency thing, right? Um, you know. 100%. We are resilient humans if we do the right stuff to be resilient. But if you're doing a bunch of dumb stuff, that's not the right reason to see how resilient your body can be. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not like to test what your body can can withstand um, because that's just foolish, right? But, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day is, is um, you know... Um, Understanding the difference between an injury and, and a tweak and a twinge, and um, that is why, in my opinion, it's so important to understand yourself and know thyself. Because, you know, if I if I ran to a medical professional every single time something hurt, I'd be living at the doctor's office now. Now, look. With that being said, I train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu several times a week. Um, I still have some chronic pain from chemotherapy. I'm not talking about little things like, you know, I, I know how to manage these things, but my point is, is that, um, when you truly understand your body, you're going to know when you're going to have a better idea of when to make those decisions when you're going, yeah, this is a little bit more than a twinge or, um, you know, maybe not. So it's just, and you have to make that, uh, you have to make that decision, but it should be a guided decision through experience. It just shouldn't be like, ah, it's fine. Like, I mean, if it's really bad, it's really bad. And, and usually within a week, You'll know, right? And I'm not please don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't have a severe injury and go, well, wait a week, because I heard it on a podcast. Please don't do that. But you know, a lot of like those little low back tweaks and twinges or knee stuff or even shoulder. Like if you just tone it down a little bit, do the things that you know your body responds well to, it's probably gonna go away. But you know, the body heals. Because the body heals, and, and that's a beautiful thing. So um just remember you're not your MRI the body heals um and i I want to
1: highlight one thing you i want to highlight one thing you said earlier don't wear your injuries as a badge of honor yeah that's become way too common on social media to Mm -hmm. see somebody that's in an arm sling because they've had had their shoulder reconstructed and they're banging their way through their workout trying to balance a barbell uh, across their shoulders with one arm um and and you know they're they're surviving their workouts because it feels like somebody's sticking a knife in their shoulder every time they bench press or, or overhead press. I mean, at that point, you're just not being very smart. <laughs> um, and, and you, you need to, you need to stop that. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I, I just wanted to highlight that because I, I think too often we think we're, we're being tough. Um, you know, I, I've, same experience Mike's had uh, of being in the chemo room, and and I'm I'm there with grandmothers who are you know on their second or third round of cancer treatment and and doing doing the chemo, and uh, they're tougher than you are. I I don't care how much you know shoulder pain you can deal with and still bench press. There's a grandmother out there that is way tougher than you are and is dealing with something way more. That you quit treating this as a a toughness experiment. Um, yeah. You know, don't wear your don't wear your injuries as badges of honor.
0: Yeah, and and uh, and and also um, at the same time, we are resilient, and there are good people out there that can help you be the best version of yourself if you're willing to let them do that. And honestly, I would say, with the exception of my professional fighters and and my sort of my athletes, my field and court athletes, all of my personal training clients are people that I've had for over a decade, and it's simply because. I know the recipe to make them resilient. And, and honestly, if you're a really good coach, if you can find that recipe for your clients, you'll never have any issues getting business and getting clients. Um, because, uh, the good ones will stay with you. And, and if you do a great job, then they're never going to leave unless, you know, something crazy happens. But, um, but yeah, it's look, it's a slippery slope, but at the end of the day, um, you know, if you do the right things, you surround yourself with the right people and, um, you know, put your ego to the side a little bit. Um, you can, you can come back from some stuff and, uh, you know, uh, just keep grinding away and, and, and look, look for the advice of people that you trust and people that have experience with that thing, whatever that thing may be. And, uh, it's going to set you off in the right path. And, and, um, I think the beauty of, of being a strength and conditioning coach, who's, who's, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work with individuals that, um, have come to me and said, Hey, look, I got some, something going on and I can't figure it out. And the doctors can't figure it out either. And, you know, being able to kind of help guide them through the process of learning how to manage these things is is a pretty cool it's a pretty cool thing because it can literally be life-changing and um that's just a big part of of you know what we try to do is is as strength and conditioning coaches we try to you know put our clients in a situation where it's health before fitness and not fitness before health and brett what is what is the line buddy what is the line about the dictionary we're gonna have you uh we're gonna have you finish up with that give it to us brett
1: line about that oh um uh,
0: come on dude place, seriously uh, let me try it again I, so it took it took All me right, so there's a this terrible drums in here <laughs> the
1: only place fitness becomes uh, uh the only place fitness comes before health is in the dictionary um and we want to be healthy uh and strength cannot be divorced from health and i'm going to throw three other cliches in here but yes the only place the only place fitness comes before health is in the dictionary
0: that and don't eat yellow snow.
1: Don't spit in the wind.
0: Okay, we play. Okay. We're going to we're going to we're going to stop it there. <laughs> all right. Listen, thank you all for joining our incredibly intense, dialed in, methodical podcast where we never go on tangents and we never have fun. Um if you enjoyed this, do us a big favor and uh give us a positive review in whatever platform you're listening to and We're going to see you all on the next episode. Until then, we'll see you when we see you. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.